0: This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel.
1: The Holy Spirit gives us the will and the power to stay faithful to God, faithful to our word, faithful to the truth, faithful to our spouse. Everything that is good, that God wants us to be committed to, the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to stay true to it. He doesn't want us to be a ship tossed around to and fro in the sea he wants us to have an anchor that is faithful that remains that our commitment remains
0: what does the holy spirit mean to you whether you're a christian or not it's common to miss its impact in your life is it just some ghost that exists in your faith or does it have an impact today in his message pastor josh wants you to know that if you want to move on from the burdens that are holding you hostage you need to take the holy spirit seriously it's not some mysterious entity but a direct reflection of Jesus. Be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's free gift of grace. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of John chapter 14, as he continues his message, The Purpose.
1: Every letter from every apostle in the Bible has a reference to the joy available to the believer. Paul speaks about rejoicing in the hope we have in Christ. John speaks about having fullness of joy. James speaks about having joy in the midst of trials. Peter speaks about having joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, joy is the essence of a relationship with Christ. Charles Spurgeon once observed very wisely I do not think the church rejoices enough. We all grumble enough. We certainly all groan enough, but very few of us rejoice enough. There are some Christians that seem to have been reared on vinegar. (laughs) Joy even surpasses our personality. Some of us are more introverted. Some of us are more uh, quiet. Maybe we're not always seeming to be expressive of Smiles on our faces or whatever it might be. I'm famously known for that. <laughs> like everywhere I go. Josh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, I'm grateful for joyful people because it is sometimes a struggle for me to allow the spirit, take that preeminent place in my life, to give me the joy of the Lord, to be my strength. One author once wrote that joy is a flag on the castle. That indicates that Jesus is on the throne. It's a great way to put it. Third, the fruit consists of peace. I call this divine assurance that transcends earthly circumstances. In the same way that Jesus left us his joy, he also promised us his peace. In John 14, 27, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. So there's something about the peace of Jesus that produces a steadiness when the temptation is to fear. Let not your heart be troubled or be afraid. In other words, Jesus would know that as we walk through this life, we will be bombarded daily with things that want to cause us to be afraid or to be troubled in our hearts. And Jesus said, the only way around that is the peace of God is the peace of the Holy Spirit, the peace that Jesus had as he walked this earth. Notice something about the peace of Jesus is that it's unique, not as the world gives. So Jesus acknowledges that there is a type of peace or an appearance of peace that the world can give you. It's a temporary peace. The world might give you a sense of financial peace for a little bit. I won't give any names because I don't want to... to, uh, dishonor their story but I, I met with a couple in church and it was so wonderful You know, they, they went through a season, unexpected season where everything went south financially with their, with their business they had someone take advantage of them and, and they were saying we had to over four years dealing with the government and this and that we had to pay this exorbitant amount of money I'm afraid to even say it, that we didn't have and the only thing that got us through is that we could look at each other and say, no matter what happens, the Lord is our King. He is our provider. And after four years, they got a letter, finally said, the issue is finished, you're all clear. And they don't know how they did it, except that God's peace was with them every step of the way. The world can give you a peace that can be very easily tainted, stolen, shipwrecked. But Jesus' peace lasts forever. Jesus can give a person peace with God, through faith in Jesus Christ, He can give us peace, the peace of God, in circumstances and in trials. Philippians four verse seven tells us that the peace of God protects our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3:15 tells us that the peace of God rules and guides our heart and our decisions. Peace is a wonderful thing to have. When you're confused about next, your next step in life, remember Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I've never regretted not making a decision I wasn't at peace about with God. I'll just wait. <laughs> I'll wait till God gives me peace. It can protect against anxiety. It can be a reliever of stress. The peace of God. And then, of course, God, Jesus gives us an eternal peace. We've all heard the phrase, and we don't like hearing the phrase, rest in peace. That means someone died. But that comes from the fact that Jesus is a giver of eternal peace. We can even have that assurance. That Hebrew greeting, shalom, peace, it's actually the form of a question. Shalom, how is your peace? How is your peace? It's a direct reflection of the work of the Holy Spirit, and the soil of your heart. Patience. I call patience divine endurance that overcomes my natural impulses. The King James Version gets it right. It's translated long suffering. To suffer long. It means steadfastness and perseverance and slowness in avenging wrongs. It's the ability to wait on the Lord. Patience. To wait on the Lord. This is one of the qualities of God that absolutely amazes me. Six times in the Old Testament, the Bible gives this attribute to God. The Lord is slow to anger. This doesn't mean he doesn't get angry. It doesn't mean he doesn't act on his anger. But when he does, it's at the right time. If I were God, I think humanity would have ceased to exist a long time ago. (laughs) You know, some people can wait a long time if they know that the end result will be good. But how do you wait through something that has no benefit for you? We're naturally very rash people. Rashness causes foolishness. Foolishness rack up bad decisions and foolish consequences. Yet the Holy Spirit teaches us how to wait on the Lord. Throughout the Bible, Christian patience is compared to farming. Farming. I don't know squat about farming, but I know a lot of people here do. So you can correct me later. (laughs) But the two disciplines have so much in common, right? There's a time for sowing. It's hard work to till a field and to plant the seed. And there's also a time for reaping. The harvest is exciting and rewarding and you get to see the results. But in, in between the sowing and the reaping, there's a lot of waiting and wondering. And what about the weather? And what about the other things? The tractor. <laughs> Patience and perseverance are required. Wouldn't it be great to reap the day after you sowed? But the farmer doesn't know it any other way. Take, for example, Chinese bamboo. You plant a bamboo sprig, and for five years, nothing happens. It doesn't, there is no visible growth for five years when you plant that bamboo sprig. You water it, you fertilize it, you weed it. But nothing happens year after year after year. But in the fifth year, an explosion of growth takes place. In a period of six weeks, the bamboo sprig grows 90 feet. During its period of growth, a bamboo tree can grow three feet in a 24-hour period. Sometimes Christians and churches do the same thing. We just want immediate solutions to our problem. We want immediate results to our work. We want our vision to come to pass because we really tried. Here's the thing forgive me that I, I'm speaking off the top of my head and I, I don't remember exactly which prophet it is, but God tells the prophet, Take the vision and write it down and make it plain on the tablets, so that when he so that when the appointed time comes, he who he who hears it may run. In other words, there is a time when vision is imparted and there is a time when vision comes to fruition. And in that time between, it requires patience. The English word has a connotation of passively waiting, like patience, I'm just doing nothing. But the Greek word is actually active. The Greek word for patience, it's not just waiting, it's waiting with wisdom, waiting with hope, waiting with peace, waiting with strength, waiting with prayer, waiting with perseverance. I'm waiting on the Lord, but I'm being active in my waiting. James chapter five, verse eight tells us, be also patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. But patience is not just having to do with how we wait for things that we want or how we wait on God's timing. Patience also has to do with reactions, not just actions. How do you react when you're wrong, wronged? How do you react when you're scared? How do you react when you're hurt? How do you react when you get angry? That's a sign of patience too. May the Spirit produce within us the patience of Christ. Kindness, divine affection, independent from the actions or reactions of others. Kindness has an idea of sincere care from the heart for other people. I think today we can get kindness and niceness mixed up. I think there's a difference between being kind and being nice. Niceness, I see, is somewhat passive, right? It's easy to be nice to someone in front of their face and then to turn around behind their back and just give them a good one. It is, isn't it? You can can be cordial and pleasant and nice to anyone for a little bit. Kindness, though, is active. It's saying good things about someone to their face and also behind their back. It's looking out for someone else's well-being, even when they're not around. Kindness isn't easy, but it has an impact that is lasting. Romans 2, 4 attributes the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So his kindness is active towards us. We experience his kindness practically, and it leads us to repentance of our sin. There's even kindness in things that hurt. Do you know that? Psalm 141 verse 5 says, Let the righteous person strike me. It shall be a kindness. Let him rebuke me and it shall be excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. In other words, he says, it can be a kindness for someone righteous and who loves you to tell you the truth that hurts. That can be kind. Kindness is not dependent on whether or not someone deserves it. Think of this verse and I'll leave it here. Titus chapter 3 Verses four through six, regarding active kindness. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when God's kindness appeared, his actions appeared. He washed us. He cleansed us of our sin. He saved us. He poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. These are all acts of kindness. So kindness is unselfish. I have met people who just are unkind. They say they love Jesus. They say they love the truth. And can I speak to maybe those with a... um, how would i say it a more naturally intense personality for a second do you agree with me that all of us have tainted personality traits that we have to guard ourselves against like no matter how no matter where you are on the spectrum of your personality well i think that this is one you have to be careful of if you are naturally confrontational you like debate and you get passionate and zealous is don't excuse your personality for lack of kindness There is no one right personality. We're all trying to get to the personality of Jesus. That's what we're trying to accomplish. That's what the Spirit is trying to get into us. It's to become more like Christ. Goodness. Goodness is divine righteousness that overcomes moral corruption. In the Greek, it means uprightness of heart. Now, when I hear the word weird, the word goodness, I think of the scripture. It tells us twice in the Old Testament and the New. There is none good, no, not one. Even Jesus said, only God is good. So it tells me that when the human heart begins to love something that God loves, it's because the work of the Spirit is going on in that person's heart. Goodness is when I have a greater desire for righteousness than I do for moral corruption. And then he tells us that faithfulness, faithfulness is divine commitment that remains unaffected by uncertain circumstances. Again, it's the natural human tendency to be double-minded, to be shifty, to be to do whatever is in our best interest. One moment we believe one thing; the next moment we believe another thing. We switched ideas. We switched sides. And usually, it's because of what's based in our own self-interest. But faithfulness, the faithfulness of God, is a consistent commitment to what is true and what is right. Regardless of the circumstances, are you glad that God is faithful? Are you glad His faithfulness is not determined on your performance? We all say, Amen, Hallelujah, thank you, God. So, what does that look like when that part of God's nature wants to manifest itself in us? The Holy Spirit gives us the will and the power to stay faithful to God, faithful to our word, faithful to the truth. Faithful to our spouse. Everything that is good, that God wants us to be committed to, the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to stay true to it. He doesn't want us to be a ship tossed around to and fro in the sea. He wants us to have an anchor that is faithful, that remains, that our commitment remains. Then there's gentleness. Gentleness is divine control over inflammatory responses and actions. Many in our culture today view gentleness as weakness. They hear gentle and they think of a pushover or being a a doormat for people to walk on. Gentle, no backbone, no courage, no willingness to speak up or to speak out, just a passive person. Let's not forget that Jesus made this statement I am gentle and lowly of heart. He said, Whatever gentle is, that's me. I'm gentle. Let me ask you, did Jesus lack courage, strength, or backbone? No, Jesus said, I am meek. It means strength restrained. Strength under control. Strength used at the appropriate time for the appropriate purposes, but not in the inappropriate time for inappropriate purposes. That's gentleness. Gentleness is the strength to swing a sword at the enemy, while having the finesse to handle a baby while you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Gentleness is when God, who can do anything simply by saying it or willing it, shows up as a little, fragile, susceptible baby in a poor town on the outskirts in the middle of nowhere. Jesus was gentle and humble, but his gentleness didn't lack strength, and his humility didn't lack courage. Matthew quotes Isaiah in speaking about the kind of Messiah Jesus would be. Matthew chapter 12 says he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice and victory. Jesus was gentle enough not to break the spirit of a broken sinner. Aren't we glad about that? How many of our lives are like bruised reeds that are about to die and break under the weight of sin? How many of us are like smoking flax? The flames of our passion in our lives are barely hanging on without any source of strength. And instead of breaking us into pieces or extinguishing us, Jesus gently heals us. He deals with us gently. He relights the spiritual flame. He mends our wounds. He heals us of the disease of sin. Yet it was the same Jesus who looked at the religious and political hypocrisy of the day and was courageous enough to rebuke it and challenge it and upend it and challenge the self-righteous establishment of the day. The same Jesus who said, I will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoking flax was the same Jesus who said, you brood of vipers, you children of Satan, you whitewashed tombs, son of the devil, fools, hypocrites. Jesus had the gentleness that attracted little children to freely run up and sit in his lap and the fierceness and righteousness that caused demons to flee and tremble at the very mention of his name. He he possessed the meekness to feed thousands who didn't have enough money to supply their food and their physical needs, yet the righteous indignation to violently turn over tables in the temple of the money changers and the merchants who were ripping off the people of God. That is gentleness. Gentleness. Finally, the Spirit gives us self-control. And I define this as divine mastery over natural desires and inclinations. Our flesh just naturally longs for more stuff. The lust of the flesh, John says, the lust of our eyes, the pride of life. How do we resist when we look at something that demands a reaction from our flesh and say, no, Paul says Those who walk in the spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. They will have the ability to control the longings of what their flesh wants. Self-control. And some might say, well, good thing I don't struggle with the big sins, so I'm good. (laughs) Self-control is not just about the big sins. Self-control is exhibited in what we watch and how much we watch it. In what we play and how many hours we play it in what we eat and how much we eat of it. Yes, I just said that. I can say it because I'm guilty. Self-control means control over self. It means control, the ability to look at the spiritual option and the physical option, the righteous option and the sinful option, and by the power of the Spirit that's in me, control what my flesh wants to pursue and submit to what the Spirit wants me for the best interest of His purposes of his glory. And I love that the word, I think, I think we need to really circle this in our Bibles, that before the word control comes the word self, because a lot of us like to control. We like to control others. We like to control situations. We like to control circumstances. And yet the Spirit doesn't give us the ability to control any of those things. The Spirit gives us the ability to control who? Ourselves that we would be the ones to repent, that we would be the ones to be tempered, that we would be the ones to be disciplined, that we would be the ones where there's nothing hindering our obedience to Christ. I think we all might have a little more humility when we look in the mirror about how ripe we are. This, to me, shows me, Josh, there is a greater need in your life for submission to the Spirit. And spiritual fruit is a process. It's a process of learning to walk in the spirit. Earlier in Galatians, he said, let those who live in the spirit walk in the spirit. The word literally means to stay in step. Have you ever been on those moving walkways at the airport? I love those things. You get on it and you're walking and you're you're like flying past people and you feel like you're Superman or something. You're just like, ah, I'm walking so fast. Your legs feel stronger just because. And then what happens when you get off? It's like, Hup! you know, <laughs> as we, as we stay in step with the spirit, what, it, what, what I really envision is like, we're, we're walking, but we're walking on the track of the spirit carrying us. He's moving us. And when we get off, we stumble. We revert back to those tendencies and those characteristics that are naturally in our flesh. So the spirit wants to produce in us fruit and mature that fruit until people just see Jesus in us.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, we're looking into what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how that plays out in ministry. In the book of Acts, you notice that the day of Pentecost occurred, ushering in a new era for Christians, experiencing God's presence living inside of them. Jesus had physically left them, but he promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. As people experience God's presence in their lives, there's a different way that they live due to this powerful influence. We're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May these messages that you're hearing bring you closer to God and bring about changes in you. They can only be attributed to his Holy Spirit working inside you. If you'd like to hear additional messages from this series called Ministry of the Spirit, Go to theascendinglife.com and click on the Media tab. The Ascending Life Ministry is an outpouring of what's going on at Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. Our heart is for people to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to learn more about Pastor Josh? Simply hop onto our website, theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life. As we strive to put Jesus first. But that's all the time we have for today. Make plans to join us again because there's more to learn about God and His Spirit right here on The Ascending Life.